Hi, I'm Johanna Weaver, and you're listening to Tech Mirror, a podcast that talks about how humans shape technology and how technology is shaping our society. Hi, listeners. Today is a special episode. We're recording in the margins of the Asia-Pacific Internet Governance Forum, which is here in Brisbane. And I'm delighted that I have a special co-host, Tanvi Nair, who is a research fellow with us here at the Tech Policy Design Centre. Yes, thanks so much for having me, Johanna. I am a research fellow at the centre and I'm a long-time listener and first-time co-host. <laughs> I'm very excited. Well, I'm excited to have you along as well. And Tanvi, what do you hope listeners get out of this episode? I think what would be great is by the end of this episode we hope you can walk away and have interesting conversations about how the internet actually works. Which, I mean, we all use the internet every day, but how many of you have stopped and thought about how it actually works? And we have a stellar lineup of guests for us. The first is a slightly longer interview with Jordan Carter, and he's the head of policy at ALDA, which is the organisation that manages all of the bits of the internet that end in .au. So, you know, they have just a small job. And then we'll dive into some slightly shorter interviews with Senator Jana Stewart, who talks to us about the Indigenous Governance Fellowship and the voice referendum. And we have a chat to Australia's Ambassador for Cyber Affairs and Critical Technology. Plus, we also talk about what the Internet of the Future might actually look like. So we speak to Alex Caples, the Director of Cyber Tech and Security at ASPE, two representatives of the Youth IGF, APNIC, who manages the technical management of the internet, and to wrap up, I get to throw a curly question at Johanna as well. <laughs> so with that tantalizing teaser, let's dive in. My name is Jordan Carter. I'm the Internet Governance and Policy Director at AUDA. AUDA is the Australian Domain Administration. We run the .au uh, domain name system. We're going to start with a really simple question for you. Yeah. How does the internet work, Jordan? We all use it every day. And your job um, working at AUDA is basically managing the internet in Australia. Hmm. How does it actually come together? The internet is the, the communication system that lets your mobile phone in Australia send a message to someone's desktop computer in London uh, that can find data out of a data center in Nairobi. You know, so it's the underlying uh, fabric that glues together all these different technologies into a global network. And so it's quite distributed and diverse. Uh, you know, we've got our fiber networks and our mobile networks in Australia. But it's got some underpinning centralizations that help weave it all together, that turn all this diversity into a platform where everyone can reach everyone else. And that's uh, domain names um, and IP addresses and some protocols and parameters that make all the tech work. And so it's kind of this really fascinating global fabric that's very diverse in its physical representations, but has this sort of software and intelligence layer that's common that lets everyone get in touch with everyone else. And I think what's so extraordinary about the way that the internet works is so many of the things that we rely on every day are underpinned by the government governing them largely, yeah. whereas the internet isn't. Actually, a large part of the characteristics of the internet is that it's governed by this multi-stakeholder model and by a series of different organisations that play, you know, really integral roles. Hmm. Could you maybe introduce us to a few of those organisations? Some of the institutions. So at the global level, um, the coordination of domain name policy is done by an organization called ICANN. Yeah. 
the Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers. And what that does is it brings together all the players in the domain name system, the registries that offer names at a country level, like Outer does in Australia, yeah. uh, or the global ones like Verisign does for the .com domain name space, and um, brings together the registrars that market those names, the, the civil society groups that keep an eye on the system and provide a user perspective, the technologists who make the underlying systems work. And it, it's called multi-stakeholder because its decision-making process forces everyone to come to a consensus point and weaves all those things together. So you've got governments in the room, you've got technologists in the room, you've got business people in the room. Uh, and unlike sort of a normal consultation or government process where the government consults and then decides, in these forums, everyone has to argue everything through. So ICANN does that for domain names. Um, there's sort of deeper tech layers in institutions like the Internet Engineering Task Force that design and refine the protocol technologies that glue all this stuff together. And there's some discussion-based ones as well, like the Internet Governance Forum, which is done under the auspices of the UN, but isn't an intergovernmental body. It's one where, again, all these stakeholder groups come together to plan the agenda, to participate in the dialogue. And that helps people understand the different points of view around the development of the internet and associated technologies and to then shape each other's decision making um, and the forums where they actually do that, whether it's national uh, or regional. So we're here in Brisbane at the moment and we've attended NetThing uh, mm -hmm. and we're now at the Asia Pacific Regional Internet Governance Forum. Yep. Can you just explain how all of these internet governance conversations fit together. So you can think of it as a, a sort of pyramid in a way. Um, in the internet governance forum side of things, quite a lot of countries have what they call national regional initiatives. So NetThing is the Australian one. And then they often get together to share what they've learned from their local national communities at a regional level. So there's the Asia Pacific Regional IGF. There's one in Europe called the European Dialogue on Internet Governance, Eurodig. There's um, others it's in the Latin America. conference. <laughs> Eurodig. Yeah. yeah, it's quite an acronym. And then they all come together at the global IGF, which is being also held in our region in Kyoto uh, in mid-October. There's reporting back sessions where people get a bit of an insight of what happened at, if you like, the next layer down. And there's networking functions where people can get the chance to mix and mingle and test the perspectives on the issues they're concerned about from other regional or even global perspectives. So it's a big melting pot of dialogue on these, these questions about how to shape the internet. Yeah. I constantly look at the way that this, you know, most critical of critical infrastructures in the world is works and am astounded by it. You know, that it is, you know, most people that are participating in the Internet Governance Forum, they're here in a volunteer capacity and the IETF operates from a volunteer capacity. This is, mm. I mean, it's quite it's an extraordinary feat of human ingenuity, but also commitment to a common cause. It is. I think it's the underlying values. A lot of the people who have been involved in this over the years want to see an open, an open internet that actually lets people communicate across borders. And that does so in a way where you don't need a tick from someone in government or an authority to 
invent a new service or add a new device and so on. Um, and that's led to enormous innovation and change and growth. And part of the internet policy dialogue these days is how do you deal with the challenges that creates, right? So it's at these forums, at the internet governance forum and so on, people aren't just talking about the internet as that underlying technology that I started with. Those are talking about all the big social consequences of things like the big internet platforms. Um, AI is even on the agenda that is the, that rises in salience in the technology policy debate. So yeah. it's a pretty interesting mix. So, Jordan, um, the internet in 25 years, what do you think it will look like? Uh, I think it'll be everywhere. So we're starting to see these low Earth orbit satellite mm -hmm. uh, networks, Starlink and others. Um, and I think we'll get to the point where if you want to be connected anywhere on Earth at a relatively trivial price, you'll be able to do that all the time. Yeah. Um, I think there'll be probably a lot more um, human-machine interaction built into it. I, I'm not across the sort of neural net technology or implants or all that kind of jazz, but I think we'll have many more ways to access the information on the internet. Um, and the process has been going on for the last, I guess, 15 years where so the internet has kind of permeated its way into all of our social institutions, ways of working, ways of interacting. I think we'll just continue to evolve and develop. Um, so I think it will be there just because the value of that communication and information access is enormous. Yeah. Um, I'm a bit less clear, funnily enough, on the governance side of it <laughs> and how that's likely to evolve. Um, it seems to me that governments have been in catch-up mode for a long time and wanting to say, you know, we take responsibility for every other area of life. Why do we have this odd little bit um, of such an important technology where we don't have a commanding role? Mm -hmm. And that's some of the tensions that are working their way through the dialogues at the UN on a few big reviews that are coming up over the next couple of years. So uh, I do think it will remain at a technical level something that is uh, developed by these sort of open consensus-driven processes. There's one key thing that they do is make sure that it works. Yeah. So, you know, you don't have someone sitting in a remote office in a national capital somewhere saying, oh, I'm just going to do it this way. I think there's a beautiful quote that when uh, Malcolm Turnbull maybe was challenged about uh, some issue to do with encryption technology. He's like, well, you know, I don't know about the laws of maths, but we live in Australia and the laws of Australia are going to prevail. It's like, well, you know, no offense to Malcolm Turnbull, but uh, the laws of maths will prevail. And so, you know, if policymakers try and require the tech to do things it just can't do, that creates problems for everyone. So I think at that technical layer, you'll keep having that difficult, occasionally contentious process of driving consensus so we make sure things work. Mm. Um, and we'll probably get a better, more harmonized regulatory system on the what people often call the content layer or the things people do with the internet social media, disinformation, misinformation, newer technologies like AI that rely on the internet to do it. There's, there's big questions, difficult questions about what the public interest is and how we resolve those things. And the, the more techie focused layer that's helped build the internet technologies, they don't have the mandate to answer those big questions about how should we shape the future of AI? How should we deal with the, the problems of misinformation? Um, governments and political systems and legislatures have the, the responsibility to deal with that. So what we need to do from the internet governance point of view is make sure we keep that underlying tech working well 
um, keep it unfragmented as it is today uh, and make sure that we've got really good interfaces and interactions with those broader policy debates. So when they happen, they can get that technical expertise, but the techies aren't making these society shaping decisions on their own bat. So I think that might be a, a positive way for that um, governance system, if you like, to evolve. I starting to think about it as the internet governance is more the how the internet works. Yeah. And these broader questions, I'm starting to get the label of digital governance. You know, mm -hmm. How do you solve those bigger picture? And how do you have those two woven together in a really effective way? So the underlying internet technology keeps developing to meet the needs that the community has, but the community can shape the needs it has for the broader social impact of these yeah. um, these other technologies. Yeah. I really like that definition. I think one of the things I've really struggled with in this, the conferences that we've been at in the last couple of days is many of the conversations have been conversations that people are labeling as internet governance and they're not internet governance issues in the sense of a traditionalist's view of internet governance, that it's the technical management of the internet. And yet they're really important conversations that we'd be having. They're really important. I've had a challenge that like, I've been challenged to say, well, that's actually a false distinction. Mm. And I think it's a false one if what you're saying is that they're separate universes. I mean, yes. obviously the internet tech can affect what broader techs can do. It's designed in a way that it is open and supports almost any other novel use, yeah. right? It didn't have to be designed that way. Yeah. Could be like the old phone network where you had to do get you know years of research and permission from companies like Telstra to be able to interconnect. Yeah. We built something that could be much more innovative and resilient than that, and that's probably a good thing. But being able to shape that bigger question is, is something that people do at these forums, I think partly because there aren't any other exactly. forums that are that broadly based. So it creates a huge benefit that there's kind of a bit of a one-stop shop for a broad perspective, like rich perspectives from different points of view coming in to talk about these issues. But it does also mean when you look at the agenda of an internet governance forum, not very much of it is about the internet, per yes, se. Yeah. Sometimes we worry that that means there might not be enough attention on that underlying thing. Um, that underlying technology stack um, and all the intention is on the, the sexy topics like, yeah. like you know, we've talked about some of AI, quantum yeah. computing um, and so on. So I think that um, if we can think about them with a bit of a distinction, almost like a different lens coming onto it, it's like, okay, what's the internet bit of this? Yeah. What's the broader tech bit of this? Yep. And where there are new things that have come about, you know, Adas published a roadmap on internet governance yep. reform recently. One of the things we said was where there are new problems to solve, if we want to take this multi-stakeholder approach of get the right set of stakeholders together who can really work their way through to a solid and durable conclusion and then implement it, mm. they're probably different stakeholders, the ones who've got dealing with internet governance. Yep. So builds forums and institutions that solve those problems and do that really well, rather than saying, hey, there's a new random technology issue. I know we'll talk about it at the Internet <laughs> Governance Forum. It's like, it's like you want the IGF to be aware of it. You want domain name registries to be thinking about how domain names can work in the new online identity world that we're building, as an example. But you don't want to try and squeeze it all into one yeah. discussion. Look, I, I think that's right. It's about um, making sure we're not diluting the conversation, but it's also to the credit of the IGF um, and the community that's here, how welcoming, welcoming it is that people feel like this is a place that they can bring these conversations. So, um, you know, I, I really like um, the distinction that you're drawing there. Also commend the roadmap paper. We'll put a link to it in the, in the pod notes um, to Brilliant. people. And that probably leads me to the final question. For our listeners who are really interested 
interested in these issues, but, you know, not experts. Mm -hmm. How would you recommend that they inform themselves or get involved in these discussions? It's a great question because a lot of the people who start getting involved almost stumble into it by accident. Yeah. Um, one of the, so in Australia, the local internet governance forum is called NetThing and it has a website, netthing.org.au. People can come along and sign up to the mailing list and then just begin to hear about the event and its planning. Yeah. Um, the good thing about these events is that you don't need someone to give you a tick to attend. They attend, they're free to attend. Um, they're hybrid, so you don't need to travel to attend. You can just sign up and attend online, generally speaking. Um, and then it is really to find a discussion on the topic that you're interested in and show up, start listening, and do a bit of Googling to find some, some research on it. Um, we keep a track of some of it at Outer, so people can join as a .au member at Outer as well if they want to get our newsletter and keep in touch with uh, that side of it. Um, the social media aspects or also you can follow Outer or NetThing or the Internet Governance Forum on, on the main platforms to see what's going on. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Jordan. And I have to say, so uh, for, for listeners, Jordan, you've been in this role now for how long? Um, I joined out last July, yeah. so it's just over a year. And it is really noticeable uh, how much the uptick and contribution that Outer is making to um, the public policy conversations. So credit to you for bringing that invigoration, but also to the whole team uh, at Outer for the work that you're doing. Oh, thank you. Look, I mean, it is a great team. And, and Outer set out a strategy a couple of years ago to lift its impact and relevance in this area. Yeah. And it's great to be part of a broader team that is committed to working on these issues in a really effective way. So, Brilliant. Thanks, Joanna. Thank you. My name is Senator Jana Stewart. I'm a Mati Mati Wamba Wamba woman from Northwest Victoria and over the border into New South Wales. So we're here at the Internet Governance Forum and NetThing in particular, and you have just launched the Indigenous Leaders Fellowship. Can you tell us a little bit about what that program is and why it's important? The objective of the fellowship is to encourage Indigenous Australians to become more involved in internet governance. I'm definitely not somebody who's suggesting that I'm an expert in those things, but the fellows that uh, are part of receiving the fellowship this morning, absolute bright stars in this space. And one of the key words that you identified in in your speech was multi-stakeholderism. Could you explain what you understand the word multi-stakeholderism to mean and why it's important in the context of Indigenous voices in internet governance, but also in relation to the voice referendum? It really is about getting a multitude, many voices, having a say on matters that will mostly affect you. And the forum that we're at today, that's about internet governance. Um, It's about the, I want to say, wild web. I don't know if that's... World Wide Web. (laughs) 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 But I'm like, it's wild web. That's what I think about it as. For me, like... Forums like this are really the epitome of what The Voice is about, right? Like, this forum is about having a whole bunch of people who are experts in their areas, having inputs into a conversation about internet governance. Yeah. For me, that's, that is a direct link to the conversations we're having about The Voice and what that's about, which is about asking First Nations people, getting them to have input into matters that affect them. Mm. We talk, uh, in my speech, I talked about we know that having better inputs, like listening, leads to better outputs. And it's really as simple as that. Yeah. 
I think that's so inspiring. First of all, Indigenous Australians use the internet every day, so it's of course they need to have a say in how it's managed and governed. And I think the link that you're making there about having a voice in the issues that matter to you and framing that in terms of the referendum is just so powerful. So really, thank you so much for, for taking the time with us today, but also for coming and launching this fellowship. I can't wait to see what the fellows do over the course of oh, the next year. I think they're gonna be incredible. One of the really important messages for me to the nation for this year is really the reminder about this invitation coming directly from First Nations people. This is not an invitation. The Uluru Sept from the Heart is not an invitation from politicians. Yeah. This is the culmination of one of the most historically significant consultation processes our nation has ever seen. I mean, we talked about the significance of including people in the conversation to get better outcomes. The other really important part for me, it's about our identity as a nation. It's about connecting my 65,000 years of connection to this place with the Australia that we are today in our constitution. It's about making us a more unified and better country than we are today. It's about progress. And that's something that I think every Australian should be absolutely championing. Yeah, and I think it's an incredible gift that the Indigenous population are offering Australia. 65,000 years of history um, and such an incredible culture. And I'm really pleased and proud to be able to say that the Tech Policy Design Centre 100% supports The Voice and we're looking to do whatever we can to get that vote yes and look forward to celebrating with mm. you when that happens. Thank you so much and thank you for walking with us. Brendan Dowling, I'm Australia's Ambassador for Cyber Affairs and Critical Technology. One of the sort of key questions of discussion at the moment is what actually is internet governance? So what does internet governance mean to you? Internet governance, I think, is a community that's grown up to manage what is an enormous, complicated beast of global <laughs> infrastructure in a way that has grown over several decades now in ways that we probably never envisaged in the early days of the internet. But what's grown with that is a community that manages the connection points, the infrastructure, the way that the internet actually operates so that the rest of us can experience it as a really functional, easy piece of our lives, of our economies, of our societies. And so internet governance for me, I think, is an amorphous concept, but it is about a community-based approach to making sure the internet actually works. I think the multi-stakeholder approach for the internet is really quite unique when we look at the way that different elements of global infrastructure has been built over time in the way that people interact between uh, countries in the way that states interact the internet is a really unique model and that's what makes it so great multi-stakeholder means that this is not about states controlling or governing or determining how the internet functions it means that we have this plurality of voices we have civil society we have academia we have governments uh, we have interested parties we have the technical community who play the core role and making the internet function and there is no way that you could build a piece of digital infrastructure of the scope and of the functionality of the internet if you left it in the hands of states working through the multilateral system. It's just not a feasible model and I think a real risk for us is that we, as we see states 
rightfully in many ways exercise more interest in how the internet functions. If that overcorrects, if we see too much involvement, if we see authoritarian uh, states getting more of their way in how the internet functions, we will actually break it. We won't have what we have today uh, and we'll lose the functionality and interoperability that we've grown to love. And I think that's a really wonderful segue into the question of what do you think the internet will look like in 25 years? The internet in 25 years, I think, potentially does not look like the internet that mm. we have today. I think there is a real risk that we are complacent, that the internet that we have built and the models for governance that we've built will continue to be the models that we'll have in the future. If we do see the agenda that many states are trying to run through the multilateral system, putting together quite convincing arguments as to why states should have a more active role, I think quite appealing arguments in our region. If we see that played out, we we will actually use the interoperability of the internet that we have today. We will see the fragmentation that many states are claiming they don't want actually brought on by those same states. We will see an internet with borders, which will stop the functionality that we have today, which will see millions of people across the globe without the sort of free and open access that they have today. I think with the complacency with which we're approaching this issue at the moment, I think that's a realistic scenario. It's mm. potentially a probable scenario that we actually uh, lose the internet as we know it. Maybe in a country like Australia, we maintain the sort of access. Maybe uh, a, a network of like-minded countries can build effectively a walled internet. But if that happens, while it might seem okay that we continue to maintain many of the benefits that we have, I think globally, we lose out on critical functionality. We lose out on free speech. We see people stuck behind fences that their governments have been built and not able to engage in a global community. And uh, Ambassador Dowling, no pressure, but newly appointed to your role. That is um, a, a very good definition of your mandate going forward. So we wish mm -hmm. you all the very best um, as you and your team um, embark on Australia's cyber diplomacy efforts. Thank you. And thank you for the great policy work that you and your team lead. Thank you. And now we're sitting here in the beautiful Brisbane sunshine with the wonderful Alex Caples. And Alex is the Director of Cyber, Critical Technology and Security at the Australian Strategic Policy Institute. And Alex, I'd really love to hear from you about one of the hot topics here at the Asia Pacific Internet Governance Forum. And that is how you think the internet might evolve over the next 25 years. Well, look, it's an interesting question and it could go in a number of different directions, I think. but. I was struck by the Cyber Ambassador's point this morning in one of the sessions around this idea that we might come come in future years, in 25 years, to look back at this as being the kind of peak period of, of a global internet, peak connectivity, and that from here on in we're looking at ongoing internet fragmentation um, as that contest between governments seeking greater control of the internet and those who are hoping to maintain that kind of multi-state model increases and essentially that we see us fragmenting into areas where we might be technically interoperable but potentially we move away from that Pangea model of of uh, content and, and governance to regional models and we end up with sort of many internets. And I think then the pressure that comes on us uh, in Australia and in like-minded countries to determine what those regions look like and who, who's in and who's out and what we want out of that internet of the future. 
But I also, as a bit of a provocation, think that I, that I think we'll move beyond internet governance at that state level and we're going to need to start to think about it at the level of individuals mm. after we get to the wearables revolution. Mm. We're now looking at, you know, Google Glasses and all the sorts of things like that. But we're actually looking now at the internet of, of implants and the internet of the body, both for medical reasons, of course, but also I think increasingly as time goes on, we'll be looking at that to stream and consume internet content. So. That essentially is a world in which uh, our engagement with the, with that world is mediated through the internet. And the software that those implants contain and the data that they collect, what, what sort of happens with that? If we extrapolate out the current internet governance conversation that we're having, that politicisation of the internet and the efforts to control the body politic then become efforts to control the body yes. and how, how you mediate that. And I think if you're looking at the challenges of the multi-stakeholder model now, essentially what happens when everyone is a potential stakeholder. Yeah. And Alex, you're wearing really incredible earrings. This is very much of a segue, but can you tell us about your earrings? Uh, these earrings are uh, the chemical formula for serotonin. And uh, I wear them regularly at, at, at these sorts of events in order to give myself a sense of calm and peace in the ensuing conversation about multi-stakeholderism, which as we know, brings out the rage in a number of people. I love it. And particularly um, when we're talking about wearables uh, as well, I think it's extra <laughs> pertinent. So thank you so much for sharing those thoughts. Of course. My name is Jenna Fung. I am the head of Asia Pacific Youth Internet Governance Forum. This year we have our program um, hosting alongside the Asia Pacific regional internet governance forum again. In 25 years time, what do you think the internet will look like? Personally, I don't know how to picture that 25 years because um, it changed so fast and rapidly. Uh, I think a year ago, we were not even talking about uh, the advancement of artificial intelligence and suddenly it's dominating all the discussion. So if they're not informed or included in the process, I think in, in, in five years, people will just use all the technology as is without knowing there is an internet behind to power it because um, sometimes we take it for granted because it is just there. Probably if you ask like a teenager right now, they have never really seen a modem before. You know, the first thing they connect to the internet is through Wi-Fi, it's wireless. So they have, I don't know, 25 years, maybe the kids will never get to see cables and they don't know that internet needs to have all this infrastructure to make it work. So um, as someone who contributes so much to um, capacity meeting, I think we must let them know not only the technical aspect, but also build their literacy around uh, public policy uh, and legislation so that they know how all this internet infrastructure is working, as well as having the capacity to know how as a community to govern the internet. I'm Luke Hyo from Malaysia and I'm one of the youth Internet Governance Forum organizing committee. How do you envision the internet in 25 years? What do you think will change? In my opinion, the internet in 25 years needs to take into consideration the connectedness that it brings. So I would like to see an internet that takes into consideration maybe the intergenerational aspect of it. 
I mean, in 25 years, I'll probably be the quote unquote older person. So I'd like to make sure that um, I take the right steps so that the next gen's next gen, if that makes sense, are really ready to use the internet. And also on that point, it needs to be an internet that ensures that all cultures are represented equally because I think in between generations, there's also a difference between culture and not to mention the differences between the existing cultures. So you, you're here as representatives of the Youth Internet Governance Forum. We often give people a magic wand in the tech mirror and say, you now have the power to change one thing. What is it that you think we need to change today to make the internet better for your generation? One thing I would choose would be something to do with internet and language. Because I think that language shapes who we are. And if everyone's using the internet now, what if that language is biased towards one gender? Most of the content we post as youths could have some elements of uh, bias in it that we are unknowingly consuming. And how does this affect the self-worth or the perceived self-worth of women, children, or youth? So if it's one thing I would say that a magic wand that I could solve is to empower youths and the next generation to know how to use their language wisely and to make sure that the language they use is inclusive. Fabulous. That's very inspiring. And what about for you, Jenna? If there is one thing that I really like to promote, it would be the multi-stakeholder model. Because uh, I think with our environment changing so rapidly and then the nature of the internet, as well as all the issues related to internet, we must have a sustainable way to keep this model running so that the interest of the public is represented. I think um, there's one thing that affects the next generation a lot is uh, is the youth of social media. Perhaps they're not using it in 25 years, but for now, <laughs> but for now they are using it a lot. And then these social media platforms are run by private company, and these are privately owned at public space. But uh, these spaces are governed by private sector which sometimes as a company they will prioritize their own profit and so many other interests right hello i'm pablo i work for apnic a pacific network information center based here in brisbane but serving 56 economies in Asia Pacific from Afghanistan to uh, the Pacific. And we are the registry of internet addresses. And could you tell us a little bit about what APNIC does? Because um, every single one of our listeners will be relying on APNIC every day and they've probably actually never heard of APNIC. Well, they will be indirectly uh, receiving some of the consequences of our work. Our work mostly deals with autonomous networks and there are 75,000 in the world and many of them are in Asia Pacific and we provide them with blocks of addresses that then they use uh, to configure uh, their networks and uh, all the devices that are connected to their networks so that users are able to basically live in a fully global interoperable network. Uh, so that's more or less the gist of 
APNIC. So in layperson's term, APNIC makes the internet work. Is that a fair statement? Among many others. <laughs> oh, you're very modest. Well, one, one of them, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but it's a very uh, important fundamental uh, role to coordinate these addresses. It doesn't happen by one organization yes. in the world. It happens by five. And then there is an ecosystem because it's not only about uh, IP numbers. It's also about domain names. And there is a lot of technical infrastructure and protocols that uh, many, many, many organizations and volunteers and companies help to keep stable, secure and uh, resilient. It is quite an extraordinary system, um, considering that we all depend on the internet every day. Pablo, we've been talking a lot at the Internet Governance Forum about what the internet might look like in the future, the internet of, say, 25 years into the future. Um, sitting in the position that you do, you probably have um, more of an insight than many. What do you think the internet will look like? Or, you know, to the extent that it's possible to even predict such things? So I'm very, very worried of course, about a possibility of, of the humanity sort of seriously biased, manipulated, and not being able to uh, sustain democratic debate and institutions due to sort of very well-resourced efforts by many, including governments, mm. uh, to make uh, those institutions that we have worked very hard throughout history to build uh, and using sort of the, the, the infrastructure that is ubiquitous and uh, is everywhere to be able to, to manipulate the humankind. And, and that is uh, the future that I'm uh, worried the most about. But at the same time, there is a, an alternative future, which is of hope uh, about uh, people being able to discern, people being able to participate, people being able to sort of push towards um, sort of good solutions and push back uh, to those solutions that are not good for the users, you know, like, uh, push companies to serve better, push companies to provide better products uh, that don't affect so, or trade uh, off with their privacy and with uh, their personal data. So when it comes to thinking about the future of the internet, it's actually something that's really hard for me to conceptualize because I've grown up with the internet. It's all I ever knew. It's all <laughs> I've, like, I can't imagine a world without it. But I would be really curious, Johanna, to get your opinions on this. What do you think the internet will look like in 25 years? Look, I think that's a really interesting perspective. And, and we certainly heard Yana and Luke talking about that as well earlier in the podcast. And when you think the internet itself is 30 years old, Google was launched in 1998, so that's 25 years old. Facebook is 19 years old and the iPhone is 17 years old. So, you know, you actually haven't lived in a world where those things haven't been front and centre for you. So, I mean, it also puts in, in context 25 years, right? It feels like it's a long time. But actually, our world is recognisable, but just with a lot more tech in it from 25 years ago. And I think when you look to the future, looking to the past is, is a really good way to be able to understand what will happen going forward. So I think we will end up with an internet that is cheaper, faster, more reliable and more available than it ever has been before. And we'll, we'll see, I think the use of the internet, um, particularly augmented reality, um, artificial intelligence, these types of things, 
really helping in a work context as well as in a connecting people context. I can see, you know, uh, travel, you know, we're looking at countries like Tuvalu that are taking themselves online and into the metaverse um, as a way to um, hedge against climate change. You know, there's so many interesting and exciting things happening in that space. But I also think that as our ability to communicate and engage online becomes cheaper, that we will also see our face-to-face and our physical contact become much more of a luxury item and something that we value uh, more. So, you know, I'll leave our listeners with that thought and I'd love to hear from our listeners what they think the internet will look like in 25 years. That's a really optimistic answer, actually. So if that's the internet of the future, sign me up. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, we'll get all of the tech policy and governance stuff right, because yeah, yeah. we'll have fixed the world. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. <laughs>